Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for being a loving Father that teaches. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning as we open your marvelous word in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 4, verse 12. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the, sea, uh, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light has sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, now, so far... We've seen in this chapter from verse one how, how the Lord Jesus was brought into the wilderness. He was brought there by the Spirit of God, and it was for the purpose that he should be tempted by the devil. And it was as if the Lord Jesus was brought there by the Spirit of God, and, and it's as if the Spirit of God was saying, okay, Satan, do what you do. And when we view the temptation of the Lord in this way, we can see that the temptation of the Lord was really like a preparation that he was put through by God. And so what, this is what makes this word that we're, the, in verse 12 that we come to now so important. It's the word now. Now it's a word of like transition because it's the transition from the first 11 verses in this chapter of this temptation of the trial to this new section here. And so this causes us now to look back. We see the word now and it causes us to look back on the 11 verses and we say to ourselves, what's all that about? What was the significance of the temptation that the Lord endured? And so what we see in these three temptations is an exact correspondence to important areas that are described in 1 John 2.16. Because 1 John 2.16 tells us everything that's in the world. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, one, the lust of the flesh, two, the lust of the eyes, And three, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So this is really a description of everything that's in the world. And that is very important when it says in 1 John 2.16, all that is in the world, all that is in the world, it means that everything that the world has to offer, you can put in one of these three categories. It's either going to be the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And that's everything. 
that the world has to attract, that's everything that the world has to lure, is that people should fall, the world is wanting that people should fall into one of these three areas. It's all encompassed in these three areas. That's why these three temptations were so important. Because in the first temptation, in verse 3, when the Lord was tempted to satisfy the hunger of his flesh by turning stones into bread, that was a temptation of the lust of the flesh. And when the Lord responded to that temptation with essentially the answer of no, the Lord was he conquered the alluring power of the world's lust of the flesh. When the Lord did that, he, in essence, renounced the world's lust of the flesh. And then in the next temptation, in verse 6, when the Lord was tempted with casting himself off from the highest point of the temple in front of all the people, in front of the crowd there, so that the Lord could immediately get this grand reputation of a miracle worker. If the Lord had done that, then all the crowd there would have hailed him. And he's the one who comes sailing down from the heights of the temple, and he's unhurt. And that would have really appealed to his ego, to his pride. That was the pride of life. And so when the Lord said no to this second temptation, he defeated the world's alluring power of the pride of life. He renounced it. And then in the third temptation, when the Lord was shown all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and when the Lord was shown everything that the world has, everything to covet, everything to trigger the response of, I wish I had that. I wish I could have that, which is called in 1 John 2.16, the lust of the eyes. And so when the Lord said no to that third temptation, he conquered the power of the world's lust of the eyes. And when he did that, he renounced it. He renounced the world's lust of the eyes. So that's why these three victories that the Lord had, and these were victories where he said no three times, They were so significant because with those three rejections, he was rejecting everything that the world had to offer. And that was essential for making him qualified to preach the gospel. Because when a person decides, I'm going to preach the gospel, then the devil seeks to disqualify that person by having him fall into one of the temptations in these three areas. You know, what happens when a preacher falls into sexual sin? What happens? That he becomes disqualified to preach the gospel because he yielded to the lust of the flesh. What happens when a preacher falls into covetousness and becomes materialistic? He becomes disqualified to preach the gospel because he's yielded to the lust of the eyes. What happens when a preacher becomes proud. He's got such a swelled head, and he no longer has time for the little people in the congregation, that he becomes disqualified to preach the gospel because he yielded to the pride of life. So when verse 1 starts off in this chapter by telling us that Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted the devil, it was the Spirit leading the Lord to prove that he was qualified to preach because he would not yield to any of these three areas that make up everything that the world has to offer to a person. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what we saw here was the Lord fighting 
and the Lord winning on every front that the world could use to attack him with these temptations. And that's true for us. That's true for us. Before we can be used of God, we have to follow the Lord. We have to renounce and conquer in all of these three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And this is what the Lord did in order to be, to prepare, to be prepared for his public ministry. And that's why in verse 12, the word now is so important because it's telling us now that the Lord has conquered and renounced the world in these three vital areas, all that the world has, now he's prepared to go and, and, and into the world to save souls without the world defeating him. And when you and I make this decision to want to be used by God, we can expect the devil to come in with all that the world has to offer. This temptation to just do it, just indulge a little flesh satisfaction. It'll seem so much the thing to do to get that good feeling. The temptation when you and I decide to go into the world, to preach the gospel, the world will never look so attractive to us as it has in the past. We will be really want to be accepted by others. We really thirst for the praise, that pride of life. But if we're going to be used of God, we've got to overcome in these three areas. We're told in verse 12 that the Lord left Nazareth, where he was brought up. You remember that you know he was born in Bethlehem, but went down to Egypt, then he came back, he was going to be there. But then he went up to Nazareth because of fear of Herod. And he left Nazareth when he heard that John was cast into prison. Now, chronologically speaking, there were other events that happened in the history of the Lord that took place before the Lord left Nazareth and went to Galilee. As we know from the other gospels that before the Lord went into Galilee, he attended a wedding in Cana. He turned water into wine there. We also know that, that before the Lord went into Galilee, he probably met a Samaritan woman at a well and told her that she could have a wonderful, abounding, soul-thirsting water that would well up within her. Before he went into Galilee, probably there was this prominent Pharisee teacher named Nicodemus who came to him with a hidden at night with a hidden question of how he's going to get to heaven. And the Lord told him that he needed to be born again and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. These all happened before the Lord went into Galilee, but they're not recorded in Matthew. So this causes us to see that the book of Matthew is not written to give us a chronological report of what happened in the life of the Lord. Don't look for that in the book of Matthew, because this gospel is laser-focused on giving accounts that lead a person to make a decision to believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, that's true of the Bible in general. God has chosen events to record that will lead the readers to put their trust in him. For example, the passage that we're studying here right now is telling us that the Lord went into a land of darkness and the shadow of death. And that's being told to us so that we can, we will also come to trust in the Lord Jesus as the one to come into the darkness of our hearts, the one to come in to dispel the shadow of death in our hearts as he is the light. So what this really is, is this is a selective reporting. 
It's a selective reporting of events for the purpose of leading the readers to a response. And this practice of the selection of events to report, it's just told us just downright by the author of the book of John, in the book of John, where he writes in John 21.25, John 21.25, there are are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And then in John 20, verse 30, John 20, verse 30, and many other times truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So what he's saying there is that John is saying, don't look at my gospel for a comprehensive biography of the life of the Lord. If my purpose was to just be a reporter who reported everything that the Lord Jesus did, then if I had the strength, I could probably write more books than have ever been written before in the world. But that's not my purpose, John is saying here. My purpose is to select those events that will cause the reader to make two essential decisions. The first one is to decide and believe, decide to believe, and personally trust that Jesus is the Messiah sent by, by God. And the second, essential, the second essential decision is to decide to believe and personally trust that Jesus is God. He is God the Son. And that these believings, these, these beliefs, And this personal trusting will bring a person into eternal life. That's John's goal. That was his stated goal. That's the goal of Matthew. And that's God's goal for that matter for the whole Bible. And you can see this clearly in how the Lord Jesus showed the Sadducees how they were to look at the Scripture, how they were to look at the Bible, to resolve the problem that they had in that they didn't believe there was life after death. So he told them in Matthew 22, Matthew 22, verse 29, he said to them, Matthew 22, 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So here come the Sadducees. They come to the Lord. They're saying there's no life after death. When when you die, it's finished, it's over. And the Lord told them that your problem is you're erring. You do err, Matthew 22, 29. You're going astray because you don't know the Scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Two things. You don't know the scriptures, you don't know the power of God, and that's why you're going astray. Now, what did he mean when he said that? You don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. I mean, did he mean that they were ignorant of the passage in Exodus when God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, and he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He mean that they fell asleep when the teacher was teaching that passage? You know, that, that they slept during Sunday school? <laughs> you know, is that what he meant? Is that what he meant by you don't know the scriptures? You're not familiar with that? You don't remember that? What happened? I mean, how is it that has anything to do with not knowing the power of God when he said that? The key 
to seeing the answers to these questions is what the Lord meant when he said, you don't know the scriptures, you don't know the power of God. It's tied up in two words. It's tied up in two words in the verse in Matthew twenty-two thirty-one. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-one, when he said to them, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God? The two words that give us the key to what he mean to many, what he meant by, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God are the two words unto you, unto you. I mean, can't you imagine, you know, he said, but as touching, Matthew twenty two thirty one. but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God? Can't you imagine the Sadducees saying to themselves, unto us? What do you mean? This is written thousands of years ago. The book of Exodus wasn't written to us. It's just a historical book. It's just recounting what happened. Why do you say unto us? And this is what the Lord Jesus meant when he said, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. To know the scriptures is to know that this is a book, the Bible, that is written unto us. It's written to us. Just as Matthew and John are making selections on what to report in order to persuade us to put our faith and our trust in God, so the whole Bible is written to us just as it was written to the Sadducees. And to know the Scriptures is not referring to knowing every chapter and verse in the Bible, which many of them could recite by heart every chapter and verse. Of course they knew that God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the burning bush and many other times. They knew that. But so when the Lord spoke there about knowing the scriptures, he's not talking about becoming the Bible answer man. He's referring to knowing that all of the Bible is written to us. And when a person says, how can that possibly be? How can a book that's written thousands of years ago, and I'm born thousands of years later, how can that be written to me? And then the answer is the power of God, the power of God. This is what he meant when he said, you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. He meant, you don't know that the scriptures are written to you, and you don't know that that's possible because of the power of God, of how the scriptures can be written to you. And that means for us that when you and I read the Bible, we should read it. Read passages, which of course are historical accounts, but we should read passages with a second ear that says, what is that, Lord? Sorry, Lord, what, what is that? What are you saying to me from that passage? How are you writing that to me? And what response are you looking for from me, Lord, as I, as I read this passage here? So don't look at Matthew for a biographical continuous narrative of what happened next and what happened. That's not God's goal. That's not the God's goal in the book of Matthew. Look at Matthew as reported events that are selected by God for the purpose of leading us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's what the book's all about. So that leads us now to see what is omitted in the verse 12 about John about John, and specifically about this history about John being cast into prison. I mean, there are very specific details surrounding the reason why Herod cast John into prison that had to do with John telling Herod that it was wrong for Herod to marry a sister-in-law, okay? But all those details are admitted here. 
And they'll be presented later in chapter 14 where they'll become important. Because if those details were here, they would only get in the way of us being led to come to the conclusion that God intends in verse 12 when it says, when Jesus heard that John was cast in the prison, he divided into to, to Galilee. So here the reason is that John was cast into prison and, and why he's cast into prison is not important. It's not important here. But what is important is that John was cast into prison and that was the signal that caused the Lord to leave Galilee and to leave Nazareth and to go to Galilee to preach. So the point here is that John was a very highly revered, recognized prophet in Israel's. In fact, the Pharisees uh, were afraid about this. In Matthew twenty-one fifty-six, Matthew twenty-one fifty-six, when the Lord said, "The baptism of John, uh, whence was it? From heaven or of men?" And they reason with themselves, saying, "If we shall say from heaven, he'll say unto us, Why didn't you believe him?' But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet." Now that's important because it shows us the setting here. John was seen by the people as a great prophet. And so all Israel goes out into the wilderness to hear John, you know. So when John was cast into prison, you can imagine with the people, it's a real, oh, no, you know, not John. You know, the people have come to value John, and they're, you know, what are we going to do without John the Baptist? We need John the Baptist. So when John the Baptist leaves his work, leaves his work here because he's cast into prison, the Lord appears, The Lord appears to take up the work. And it shows us here that God is not going to leave himself without a witness. Just as Paul told the Gentiles this in Acts 14, 17, Acts 14, 17, when Paul said, nevertheless, God left not himself without witness and that he did good and he gave rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So John the Baptist is removed from the people just like Moses was removed from the people when Moses died. I mean, here, here are millions of people who trust Moses. They, Moses gives them the words they should believe. Moses leads them. Moses defeats the enemy, the Egyptians. Moses gives us water and so forth. So their leader is now, he's dead. And, and you can imagine you know, Moses is going to go over this hill to die. And they're saying, no, Moses, you can't die. Don't die. We need you. We haven't come to the land of Canaan yet. What are you doing? And he takes this walk up this, uh, with God up to this mountain, and the, and the people lose sight of Moses as he walks away, and he dies up there, and he doesn't come back. And just when the people thought that God had forsaken them because Moses was gone, then he calls Joshua. God's called Joshua in Joshua 1.1. Joshua 1.1, and it starts off. It says, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to Israel. Now, you just imagine, you put yourself in Joshua's you know, shoes. You put yourself in Joshua's place, and, you know, and here comes God, and the first word God says to you, Moses, my servant, is dead. <laughs> That's a pretty depressing start. But this is what God says to Mo- Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. And now it's your turn. It's your turn to go into the place of Moses. And so he encourages Joshua in Deuteronomy 31.23. Deuteronomy 31.23. And he gave Joshua, the son of Nun, a charge and said, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. 
So Moses, my servant, is dead. Now Joshua, arise. It's just like John is cast into prison. Now Jesus, arise. And so this is God's call to pass the baton. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 